John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed the Omnibus Addenda, Volume 1. Entry 138.AC1631, Certificate Number 39323, Bob Dylan's Christian Period. One addendum that uh, a listener wanted to add to our memory of Bob Dylan's three mediocre gospel albums Uh was uh, a family anecdote. Oh. This is from a listener named Pinchos, who calls himself our token Jewish futureling. Wait a minute. I think we have an awful lot of Jewish futurelings. It's nice to imagine that there's a, a vast a vast population of, of future Jews out there. That's my hope. Enjoying, enjoying our show. That's what I fight for every day. Uh, but but uh, but he likes to think he's the only Jewish futureling, so let's let's let him— Maybe he's the only token one. Right. I, don't, I don't know what that would mean. <laughs> the rest of them are just normal people, but he's the token. He's got a story from his dad, uh, who, well, while a teenager in the 1980s, was in a yeshiva called Shor Yoshev in Lawrence, New York. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to put up with my bad Hebrew pronunciation. I thought that was all pretty good, but you know there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of uh, yeshivas in upstate New York. And uh, if you go up there on vacation, as I often do, and stay in some ramshackle house owned by one of your eccentric rock friends. You're just up there for Chautauquas. I not do. For, not for yeshivas. I go there Chautauquas are like the Gentile yeshivas. But, you know, Lawrence is not uh, super far upstate. Lawrence is actually right there, kind of in on the way. I don't want to get into where upstate starts. Like, the, we're going to get ang- such angry letters, no matter where we what we say about... But this isn't, this isn't even, that's not anywhere. It's not anywhere close to upstate because it's, like it's, on, Lo- it's on Long Island. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm guessing there are quite a few yeshivas on Long Island. I believe. That, I believe. Would, that would be my impression. The head of this particular yeshiva was a rabbi, Shlomo Freifeld. He and his wife were big believers of bringing Jews back to Orthodox Judaism. Right. That's a, that's a very fashionable thing. One, one month... A disciple of Mrs. Freifeld invited her friend from a previous life, her two friends from a previous life, Bob Dylan and Alan Ginsberg. So way to bury the lead. Well, yeah. What kind of previous life did she live? She had a very, (laughs) I think she had an amazing 60s. Ah. She invited them to Shor Yoshev for her wedding party. And Rabbi Freifeld instructed his students that nobody was to approach Dylan and Ginsberg for autographs. Just not treat them as celebrities in any way. Just regular Jews who have fallen 
and need to be brought back in. No, just as regular bar mitzvah guests or whatever. Oh, it's a wedding. Regular wedding guests. Yeah. This reminds me of a story somebody told me about. Was I telling you sitting next to Rachel Rachel Vice on a plane and she and just kind of tr- wanting to treat her like a normal person because you're sitting in first class next to right. Rachel Vice and uh, and her getting increasingly visibly angry. That, that she was that, being treated like a normal she, that person. That she was getting asked questions like, "Oh, do you like shopping there?" You know, stuff like that. Like <laughs> nobody has mentioned the mummy. I, I sat next to one of the people from Stereo Lab. Oh no, no, no! They, it was they, they were from Portishead. That's funny that I, when you said Stereo Lab, I was like, "Oh, not Portishead." Why am I thinking? I don't know. Why am I associating Stereo Lab and Portishead? I don't know. But I, I sat next to this person on the plane, and I was like, "You look like a cool person," and they were like. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a British person and we're all cool. And I was like, not all British people are cool. Well, I'm also in Portishead. And I was like, wow, you were in Portishead? And I ran out of Portishead-based questions to ask pretty fast. I was like, so... You would have thought that you had a full flight's worth. Yeah, uh, but then it turned out that uh, this person was just a normal person who happened to be in Portishead. And we had a wonderful flight just chatting about life. Every time I've been in that situation, that's been the best approach yeah. is just to, to not be like, ooh, what, what, what have I always wanted to ask somebody in Portishead? Right. There wasn't anything I had But it usually, up. It, it doesn't work with Rachel Weitz is all I know. Yeah, sure. Okay. Anyway, uh, in the, at this particular wedding, nobody was, people were instructed to not treat Dylan or Ginsburg oddly. So Gillen and, Dylan and Ginsburg or Gillen and Dinsburg, as I like to call them, just rolled up into this wedding. Hey, hey can we come to your wedding? <laughs> During the party, Dylan became so inspired by the speeches and singing that he developed a close relationship with the rabbi. That the lasted apparently for years. At one point, he offered to host a benefit concert for the school. Rabbi Freifeld refused. Eventually, Dylan approached the rabbi to tell him he planned on buying a home in nearby Long Beach and joining the yeshiva as a student. Rabbi but, Freifeld. But this is circa when? It says in the 80s. In the 80s. So this would probably have been after, after, after the, the Christian flirtation. After the Christian period. This is now uh, now when Tom Petty is his baby. <laughs> I like how you think there's two periods, <laughs> Jesus and Tom Petty. <laughs> like Your two choices of 80s messiahs are. I think of this as the mullet period, Dylan's mullet period. <laughs> Absolutely. I think of him by his Wilbury name, uh-huh. Lef- Lefty, Lefty Wilbury or whatever. I can't remember which Wilbury he was. I think Lefty. Uh, and he, Rabbi Freifeld responded that if he planned on joining the yeshiva, he must leave his previous life behind. Oh, this geez. is turning into kind of a... Jim Jonesy some, thing. Some, I was going to say some kind of Talmudic parallel oh, okay. or a parable. He also told them that he must first spend three months in the dormitory before considering buying a home. Wow, that's kind of a... Ouch. That's a, that's a tough rabbi. I just bought a house and I... I if I had had to spend three months in a dormitory thinking about it, I don't know. You've kind of been living three months in this dormitory. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan couldn't commit to this, so he ended up backing out of his. Maybe Dylan's a guy who has these impulsive plans. It sounds like the rabbi was trying to dissuade him yeah, by making it too difficult. Maybe the rabbi knew about the Christian stuff. <laughs> I think he did. And it was in want, all the newspapers. He knew that Dylan was Mister First Thought <laughs> and wanted to be like, let's. Let's have a plan here. But they maintained their relationship until Freifeld, the rabbi, died in 1990. Once, after leaving the rabbi's house, and it's not clear who would have, this is like Citizen Kane where you don't know who would have heard Dylan say this. But once after leaving the rabbi's house, he, was, he said, it may be dark and snowy outside, but in that house, it's so light. Isn't that nice? That is sweet. What if this had happened in time for Dylan to not do the Christian album? Right. What if this had happened uh, in 1974 and uh, and we would have like Orthodox Dylan? We would have three albums of mediocre klezmer music. <laughs> 
Entry 075.2P0308, Certificate Number 24524, As Slow As Possible. If you recall, this was the cathedral in Halberstadt, Germany, that's playing... The John Cage tune that's going to last a thousand years. Right. Uh, because he really wants it as slow as possible. Right. But what if you just did a chord change every six months, ten years, right. whatever. Uh, a listener on a future link on Facebook wrote in, and I, I don't have the name, I wish I did, uh, to suggest that this would actually probably change the belief system of Halberstadt, Germany... Hmm. For the next few centuries. Interesting. People would tend to know under which chord they were born. It would be the equivalent of an astrological sign, basically. Like you would know your birth chord. I'm an an A-flat. Right. Oh, no, I'm an F major diminished seven. Oh, you F major diminished sevens. You just You're so pretentious. You you take everything for granted. (laughs) Uh, And that's probably true, right? Like if it's, I mean, if it's something that's audible in the community, like this is something that really has the potential to change the way people think about time there yeah interesting for a long time and and i wonder if i wonder if as time went on uh th- they would start to believe that there was uh some coincidence or some like causal effect where oh we had a drought for four years and that lined up perfectly <laughs> with the with the c-sharp Seven, and so there must be something, you know, the next time that chord comes around, uh, we should be prepared. If that's true, I mean, the the project will never reach its conclusion because some angry mob with pitchforks and torches will be like, this A minor chord has ruined our harvest. You right, know, the, right. cro- the crops are dying. Well, or there will be, or, or like committees will get involved and they'll say like, like they're writing a screenplay where there are 10 executive producers They'll be like, you know what? What if we? What if that A that A sharp was actually an A sharp minor nine? Then we could avert the tragedy, but the composition will start to change. People will make minor modifications, skipping chords, changing them, adding augmentations. Pretty soon, it will be an unrecognizable song. John Cage is going to be rolling over in his grave, yeah, very what, very quietly. I wonder what that sounds like. Entry 1306.ES0609, certificate number 9509, ticker tape parades. Uh, now, as part of a kind of a parenthetical here, we were talking about our experience in and with parades. We're both parade fans. Yeah. And I mentioned offhand the um, the giant styrofoam effigy of my head mm-hmm. that had been created for a local Utah parade <laughs> that then sat in my garage, sat in my shed for a couple of years because I couldn't think of anything good to do with it. Right. Did you feel like it resembled you? Did we cover this on the episode? Did you feel it was a good representation? Uh, p- pictures were posted. If you've looked at the Future League's Facebook group. Right, but this the- is a personal question. No, I never thought it did. I mean, it kind of looked like generic white guy you know mm-hmm. if, if you keep getting generic and genericer and whiter and whiter you either get to you get to dan quayle or greg kinnear <laughs> at some point you do look like a cross between dan quayle and greg kinnear. No, i'm not quite that generic like 
you know, but it, I guess it kind of had, it had like a, a prominent nose. There were some yeah. attempts at, at, there were some work and you can imagine that styrofoam is not a forgiving medium. Right. I mean, what's the guy using some kind of a, some kind of a powered saw, like a hedge, hedge trimmer. Must've been, but you could always glue styrofoam back in if you cut too deeply. Do you think Michelangelo would do that with marble? Well, no. Do you think if he accidentally castrated David, if he, if he would be like, Ooh, I'm just going to pop that back on. You know, he, he saw the form within the stone. Do you think that the that's sculptor right. saw yes. the Ken Jennings head within the foam? That's, that's what you do. Foam? You look at the block of foam and you carve away everything that doesn't look like a giant <laughs> Ken Jennings head. Anyway, I mentioned the kind of odd providence of that where I eventually just not, unable to think of something fun to do with it, sold it online for charity and it was bought by the deal of the day, somebody at the deal of the day site, Woot, mm-hmm. where it's kind of sat confusing people at their HQ for many years. Mm-hmm. But Did they pay a good price for it? Uh, I feel like I earned a few hundred dollars for yeah. the American Heart Association or whatever it was. I mean, anything you pay for that is too much. It's, How do you it's ship It's literally it? a white elephant. How it's would a, you ship it? Uh, I kind of made that their problem. Oh, good. And they found, and I, that was in the listing, you yeah. know, like I'm not taking this down to mailboxes, et cetera. But somebody, they found somebody in the region, you know, in the classic internet way, you're an expert at this. Yeah, yeah, sure. Who lives there and can do this for me? Right. So somebody just came with a trailer and, you know, backed up their truck and, and away it went. Off it went. And, uh, and I, I didn't really, I, I don't know if I told the story fully enough, but Woot was later purchased by Amazon. Right. And they did not want to bring the head up to their new HQ in Seattle. So it continued to sit in somewhere in Texas, wherever Woot had been headquartered, putting, <sighs> putting the head back in headquarters. The, la- the last thing at the old Woot headquarters, there was a sign kind of half hanging off the wall and some some tumbleweeds and then Ken Jennings head right in the middle of this abandoned office space. I think it was in like a, a seldom used conference room. Right. You know, our, our conference room themes are no giant head and <laughs> one giant head. I think one giant head is busy. Let's use no giant. It head. is a giant head. It's not, yeah. it's not a small. And I overstated thing. it on the show. Like when I said it was about the size of a VW Beetle, it's a bit much. It's more like a golf cart or something. Yeah. It's golf cart. Size. It's small vehicle sized though. Anyway, so it was the, the founders of Woot did this, and but they later left the company after you know, maybe selling to Amazon was their exit strategy. But they later left and founded a new company, which I did not name. But just in the interests of, you know, plugging their current venture as well, this was Meh. Meh? Meh, M-E-H. There's a company called Meh? Yeah, oh. which you'd think would connote. Oh, dear. It's it's it's, it it's millennial irony. John. How can it possibly connote anything other than meh? Than apathy and you, mediocrity? Yeah, and just like ugh, I don't care. What I, is it, what do they sell? Uh, it's it, I think it's a deal of the day site with with oh I see tech electronics stuff. Uh, meh meh. See, <laughs> I just explained you their business model and what did you say? I think it's supposed to be ironic in some way. Maybe there's a better story. I'm I'm not in charge of the branding. At sure. Me. Okay. So there they are. But Dave Rutledge, the guy who, who, who bought it twice, who bought the head once from Woot, uh, you know, he, he bought it again when Woot put it up for sale, I guess, or okay. maybe, maybe he, he, maybe he made an offer to Woot. And we, on the show, we said, we did not know where the giant Ken Jennings head was. And so Dave sent me a video, which you can see on our Twitter or at some point in our, the, I think it's on our tw- Twitter. Uh, that's the best place to look for it. 
somebody kind of wandering through a, a warehouse, a Home Depot kind of Costco, Ikea looking warehouse. And with, I feel like I know the shelves. person. I feel like the person that took us on this tour is someone from the internet that I know. He definitely now quotes you and I from this show in his Twitter bio. Oh, that's good. Man. Because I, he was the one who bought at Ken Jennings, my Twitter domain. Just And I, and I said something like, what a helpful guy. And you said, it's a little creepy. <laughs> and so now his Twitter bio cites us believing he's Helpful. Somewhere on the helpful, creepy continuum. (laughs) So have you seen the video? He posted a video of kind of wandering through the stacks, looking, it looks like the end of Raiders. I did. And and it's one of those like, keep watching. You're going to love the end. The camera's kind of panning around. You see different, you know, shipping tags, identifying different piles of boxes. And finally it pans up past these two stories, you know, two or three stories of boxes. And in between two numbered crates is this giant horrific grinning head it feels like you're at ikea and you're in the checkout you're in that the warehouse you have to go to the part where you get the actual shelves yeah and there's just this nightmare apparition (laughs) of a of a crate sized head this thing is not in the catalog it's nowhere like you're you're frantically going through your stuff trying to figure out why that would be there which of these discontinued which of these tags connects to it it's like a ken with an umlaut (laughs) so so we now know where it is it's high on a shelf i'm sure these people are not only wondering why they've bought it the first time but why on earth they would have bought it twice well but it's there i mean you could uh, if you are if you work at that company and you're having an affair with a coworker, you can say like, "Meet me on the meet me on the the Ken head aisle." Honey, I, we talked about this. You know this is not going to work. I can't perform while Ken's no, looking at me. Meet, meet me under the head. I can't. I can't, we have to face the other way. He's looking at us. Anyway, we know styrofoam will last long sure. into the future. Sure, they, they they can't dispose of this head now. It's it's part of the omnibus canon. Well, they couldn't dispose of it anyway. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't decay like listeners in the in the next geological era one thing we can be certain of in addition to them having found these recordings is that they worship this head <laughs> the head is out there somewhere you know it seems like uh it seems like the kind of plot uh, device from like a Roger Moore era bond film where they hollow out well, yeah, what does the head conceal and it's on it's in some Mardi Gras parade but <laughs> right. but Roger Moore knows that it's about to go off and kill the Kill the the second row or whatever. Yeah, that's probably true. Actually, it probably is full of explosives. Yeah, I didn't tell them that when I when I sold it. Entry seven four nine dot two s one 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 four certificate number three five seven five two mail trucks. We have to get back to mail trucks, right? Boy, mail trucks became a a real you know that episode. We recorded over a year ago, and it still resonates with our Facebook community, at least, as uh, it, what mail trucks became kind of a uh, what a symbol of the of the whole community, and maybe disproportionately so. I've definitely seen people be like, "I'm finally listening to the old mail truck episode, can't wait," and then they're like, oh, "That's not such a great one." I mean, it's, it's strange. <laughs> why, why is everyone talking about this one? It's not that good. <laughs> there are a lot of episodes from that era that you know, Hilbert Hotel was just a just a week or two before that, and. Um, Look at you going through the archives. Yeah, and we've got like back here, we've got we've got what? Wild Man Fisher. I mean, there's a lot of stuff right around there that um I think the reason why I caught on on Facebook is cuz 
you can easily take a picture of a mail truck. They're all around us. And nobody noticed before, but now they're easily available. So it, it's just become a stream of picture, photos of mail trucks. Right. And it's kind of interesting that it's this whole f- giant fleet that's getting phased out. Yeah, and it's a, it's um, a nice little sort of hat tip to to one another, right? Facebook uh, uh, futurelings don't have to dis- – they don't have to explain why they're posting a picture of, of a mail truck. All they have to do is post a picture. I guess it alienates international futurelings who do not have access to mail truck photos. No, I've seen plenty of pictures of Dutch and Spanish oh, mail trucks on the on the website. Delightful. We have a, what appears to be one uh, a postal employee whose job revolves around his Grumman LLV who who posts pictures. Interesting. Uh, like from inside the cockpit. Yes, John has actually given his posts often firsthand LLV content. And among other things, he says he can't, he can't technically do this. I don't want to get him fired, but he actually volunteered on the Facebook group to give uh, rides to other people who would like to be in an LLV. He, he offered it as a Patreon benefit for the show. While, while, <laughs> while off duty or like, can they actually help deliver the mail? I assume regulations might prohibit both. I don't know. Right, right. But what a, but what a kind offer. Of, it's a great offer. And I'm not sure if it was him, but somebody else posted a picture of a LLV that got so hot last summer that they were cooking a steak on the bare metal in the back of the truck. So just just to emphasize what we said in the show about them not being particularly comfortable rides. That feels like a, like a Patreon benefit, right? A, a steak cooked in an LLV. First, <laughs> we will take you for a ride on LLV. Then we will cook you a steak in the LLV. What, what part of the country does, uh, does our correspondent live? Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, is that something that Facebook will just tell you? I'm not sure either. Like if I click on this guy? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if I should be doxing him online, but... Uh, but I feel like if he's offering LLV rides in Minnesota in January or LLV rides in New Mexico in August, those are two very different experiences. It looks like it's the Midwest. It looks like he may be an Omaha postal employee. Oh, Omaha. That's a nice temperate climate, although mm. not really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's actually a very good time of year to be in a mail truck in Omaha. Uh, spring, spring is nice there. Spring and fall. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think Omaha is a land of four seasons? I do. Yeah. But I they feel- probably don't have a four seasons. Uh, oh, let's see it. A four seasons. Yeah. Because Omaha is headquarters of, uh, Berkshire Hathaway. They got to put those, they got to put the investors up somewhere. Yeah, they got right? rich people coming in and out. Even if, even if, uh, even if our man, our hero of the hour, uh, Warren Buffett likes to, I'm, I'm assuming he just sleeps in a wood, a, like a wood paneled shed because he's such a humble Humbly props, prosperous American. I found I found one more. Uh, you, you will not remember this, and I certainly don't. But there was a uh, an aside in the Mail Trucks episode about uh, how eBay bans the sale of Third Reich items. Uh-huh. And we actually heard from someone who used to work for PayPal, formerly owned by eBay, and, and processed all the payment payments. And so it was a big part of PayPal's job to enforce those policies. Oh. you know about what could be sold and what could be PayPaled. And the Nazi rule, he, he clarifies the Nazi rule. Yeah, let's hear. I don't know why I'm why I'm giving people better advice <laughs> on how to sell off their 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 Nazimobilia, but uh, context was very important. They were, you're allowed to sell Nazi collectibles. I see. So you know, if this is a Third Reich ashtray that actually came from the Eagle's Nest, it's you, it's a collectible rather than a 
currently active propaganda device. Right. If it was a currently app, so like you could actually sell a Nazi armband and be like, hey, this is from the Wehrmacht or whatever. Like that would be fine. But you could, if it was the same armband and you were like, Brand new. Law triggered much, you know. <laughs> yeah. For sale. One armband, never used. Uh, it turned out to be too small for somebody's meaty forearms. Um, so th- that would be their distinction, whether oh, it's uh, whether it's actually a hate item or whether it's a collectible. Oh, that makes, a, that makes, so that's an interesting distinction. I guess, although it seems like it would be very tricky because, you know, probably the vast majority of the stuff doesn't say trigger the libs with this. Right. And it also doesn't say this was owned by Herman Gehring. It just says collectible. It just says, Hey, this uh, ashtray has a swastika. What am I bid? Well, what drives me crazy is that they prohibit the sale of certain weapons and some, some dumb cluck somewhere along the way, uh, put a, a vintage, beautiful vintage sword cane up on eBay. And I happened to find it because I was, Searching because you type in sword cane into eBay <laughs> twice a day. That's why <laughs> searching around that space and maybe put in sword cane into eBay twice a day. And it had a buy it now or something. It was, I was, and I bought it instantly. I was like, there's a sword cane on eBay. Boom. And it was beautiful. It was perfect. And then the sale was canceled. And I don't think canceled by the seller. I think canceled by the platform. And I didn't have the, I didn't have, I didn't think to make independent contact with that seller and say, Let's conduct this business offline. Deplatforming sword canes is an abomination. Ah, it's an affront to free speech. I didn't want it as a weapon. I wanted it as a collectible. You want it as an affectation. That's a totally different category. Listen, it's not an affectation if you if you use it in self defense. So I did want it as a weapon. It's like yeah, it's like, <laughs> the, it's like the cricket bat from Spinal Tap. Rick, our correspondent from PayPal, notes that the reason for these policies was, of course, not to run afoul of current laws right. in France and Germany, which are very strict, maybe as strict as we should be, right. <laughs> about uh, about hate crimes. Um, so there's not they could get in real trouble with the uh, European Union if they were actually selling items that were conceivably hate-based. Right. You can't just sell autographed copies of Mein Kampf. But I guess even Germany has a carve-out for the historical stuff. Well, they, I mean, they would have to, right? It, it fills up the attics of <laughs> every grandma in the country. Entry 911.PS9703, certificate number 52178, Peak Phosphorus. This was where you frightened me by warning me that there's only a fixed amount of phosphorus in the ecosystem, and the more we put in the ocean the less there is to do all the other stuff we want phosphorus to do. I remember you couldn't sleep for weeks. I still, I'm I'm horrified by it Mm -hmm. every time I pee. So like twice a week, I'm horrified by the idea that, uh, (laughs) that I'm literally pissing away valuable phosphorus. You are. If there are only a way to collect it there in your, in your home potty. Well, this is what Richard from Boise suggests, uh, in a, a correspondence from him. John and Ken, I enjoyed your show on peak phosphorus. One thing I do to capture some of the phosphorus from my waste is irrigate my garden with pea water. I keep a watering can available at home to pee in. I then dilute it with water about 10 to 1, 10 parts water to one part uh, Boise urine. The garden seems to do great. Interesting. Yeah, so how are we imagining the setup he has? Well, so I, I've, I have imagined a similar setup, and I also practice a certain... 
um, uh, what would you? What would, I guess I would describe it as my practice, which a, a is discipline. A discipline. In the middle of the night, I often go out and pee in my garden. <laughs> it's just a way of experiencing nature. I feel like you know you're out under the stars. You, you don't have the phosphorus cycle in mind, though. No, well, I don't, but I do. I am aware of pee being a being useful in a garden, or not. It, at least it's not poison. I mean, I don't think. Like a, if a dog pees in the same spot on your lawn, it burns the grass. Right. right that's what I'm saying. Do you, do you, do you go? Yeah, I do. I kind of just, you know, and it's not like I, I'm not peeing on vegetables or whatever, but I pee in the bushes in very, and I don't always do it in the same place. I do it around. But you know, if you're sitting in the house, you're all by yourself. It's the middle of the night. You have to go pee. Why go in the potty? I mean, I don't go, I don't go out and poop in the garden, but you know, go outside, take a breath of fresh air, pee in the yard. It, it, it does say that he does not he does not do what you do. He keeps a watering can available. Okay, so now that seems crazy to me because as someone who used to live in a warehouse loft, I can attest that if you let pee sit in an open canister in a room, it will start to smell. Here's the genius of pee. Really fast. It doesn't smell at first. No, it doesn't. Like I don't know what's going on. Is it the temperature or it, Oh, it's probably cuz it's um it's anaero- it's anaerobic. There's nothing living in it. Right, but it starts it's, to smell. Right. Really bad in a bacteria in find it quickly. Pretty short order. But I have often, because I take baths, I've often lamented as I empty the bath water out that I don't have a valve in my bathroom where I can flip it over and send that what's called gray water mm-hmm. out to a sprinkler system, right? Like you you would want to. Sure. This you is from the grass send, entry. Yeah. You don't want to send black water out. No. But you do. And so there should be a way within a. Within a toilet, uh, it seems like you universe. got plenty of free time. Like, why aren't you just like bailing your bathtub out with buckets and tossing it out the I window? Don't have that time? much free time, but I do have. You know, I do feel like if I were consulting with a with a plumber, if I were building a house today, I would ask, "Hey, what's the way?" And I mean, there might be health code stuff too, but like, how do I redirect the water that comes out of my house to send it different directions, including the water that comes out of my body? I don't know if I've told this story on the show before, but I was once, I don't pee in my yard. I don't think. Well, your yard isn't really made for peeing the way mine is. Richard is a, Richard, our correspondent, maybe he pees sometimes in the toilet, but then sometimes it's more of a, if he's closer to the watering can, he will do that. But then he'll, maybe he'll take it or maybe he'll go out to the porch. Maybe the watering can is outside. Richard sounds like a bachelor. (laughs) It's not impossible. You would have, if you had a spouse, I think your spouse would probably have to draw the line at your, like a pee can. Someday Richard will be married and then he can't just watch Ice Station Zebra and pee into his watering can (laughs) all day. Uh, I was once out on my porch when we lived in the North End. Uh, I was out on my porch, but I was kind of crouched down, taking down Christmas lights or, or filling, caulking. I can't remember what I was doing, but the point is I'm ducking under my own hedge in a weird way. And my neighbor comes out on his deck, which kind of balcony, which kind of faces ours. This is his front porch, mind you. And, and I'm like, Oh great. Do I just have to sit here until this guy leaves? Like said, otherwise, what am I just going to pop up out of the hedges? <laughs> right. You get into that weird thing where you're like, Oh shit. Awkward. And we'd already had a kind of a run in with this odd guy when he like yelled at a room full of birthday kids uh-huh. and, and like looked like he was going to take off his, his belt maybe to, to do violence because somebody had blocked his driveway while picking, while uh, picking up a kid from a birthday party. Hmm. Anyway, Odd, odd interaction that he had with a room full of, if I see a room full of three-year-olds, one thing I do not do. Go for your belt. Take off my belt. <laughs> There's really no good outcome. Uh, so I'm crouched down and he, uh, to my great surprise, I start to hear unmistakable sounds of urination. 
this guy just walked out onto his front porch, looked around, the coast was clear, and he just peed into his hedges, and then he went back inside. Hmm. And I thought about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was... At the time, I kind of landed on alcoholism. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's maybe where I learned it. But maybe he was just super aware of the phosphorus cycle. Phosphorus cycle or there's just some, you know, there's a kind of like, uh, there's something in our ooga booga nature that suggests just like peeing outside. It's its, its own reward. Entry 494.LV2342, certificate number 38597, photomats. When we talked about photomats, you uh, talked about some of the things that these parking lot kiosks had been repurposed into mm -hmm. in our era. And I don't actually remember what we said. What mm, There's like key grinders yeah. and coffee shops and... Um, a lot of bikini baristas we mentioned, I yeah, think. Yeah, little, uh, you know, tchotchke stores. Uh, uh, oh, tailors, drop off your clothes and pick them up, dry cleaners. Dry cleaning kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, ever in, the, in line with the mail trucks thing and the reading rooms thing, people did send us pictures of lots of converted... People have been sending us pictures of converted Quonset huts and converted photo mats. Yeah, they're wonderful. Uh, wonderful to find in the wild. People just love converted huts, I guess. I found one after I, after we did the episode. I found one in the in the local town of Des Moines, or Des Moines, as we call it. We we say Des Moines with the final S. We do. In I, in Iowa, they say neither S. Right, Des Moines. Here we say one. Is there some other state where they say both S's? Des Moines. Des Moines. Uh. I have started, I've noticed in, in, in uh, South Seattle, there are a lot of variations. It's not, the town is actually called Des Moines, but people that live within it call it a lot of different things, including, I don't, I've never heard anyone say Des Moines, but I have heard Des Moines, and I don't want to correct some old lady that's been living there 20 years, but I think Des Moines is, is probably the most accurate. And what did you see in the... Uh... There's a photo map. Oh, it's... There's a photo map. But, but it's just... not still a photo. No, it's just sitting in the parking lot of a place I go by all the time. And I, after I started seeing them on the Facebook page, uh, I suddenly saw one and I was like, "There's well, how did I fail to recognize that? Because there are a few around me mm -hmm. that I know where they are. But there was one just in plain sight. So people sent us some delightful local variations on the converted photo hut. Uh, Mark from L.A., has seen the most LA photo hut of them all, uh, a psychic slash tarot card reader. Oh, of course. A, a drive through psychic reading. Yeah. Because it's perfect. Yeah. You know, you stay in your car. We could be, we could be more relaxed. And you don't want to go into somebody's, you don't want to go through the beaded curtain into somebody's weird incense smelling house. Like I'd much rather have my palm red or whatever while I'm still behind the wheel. Great. Uh, Scott, from uh, who attended Penn State um, sometime in uh, a decade or more ago, uh, was driving between his home in Pittsburgh and Penn State very often. Uh, so he got very familiar with U.S. Route 22. That's and, a nice trip. And I-99. Does it have Breezewood on it? No, right? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, Penn State is, I, I've spoken at Penn State, and it's surrounded by dairy fields on all sides. It's quite literally in the middle of nowhere. That's not in College Station. That's in College Town, or what's it called? It's uh, called University... University Village. Land. University Land. Formerly known as Paterno Land, but 
now just University City. It is called College something, isn't it? Let's it's see. It's called Penn. University Park. No, that's the University of Maryland. No, Penn, that's College Park. Penn State is uh, Penn State is in University Park. Oh, we got there. We go. so close to it, uh, all all around it, but we didn't land it. University of Maryland is College Park. University of Pennsylvania is University, University Park. Park. That's very helpful. Anyway, Scott says one of the ways we entertained ourselves during the long drive through Central Pennsylvania was by counting the ahem, adult establishments along the roadside. Oh, sure. Well, you know, this is a pretty good omnibus, too. All the all the places with tall signs that appeal to truckers to come in and see a peep show. It really is a, a, a look into the mind of a trucker. Yeah. What, what would you want? The signs are huge. They say, they say adult – I remember as a kid seeing a huge sign by the side of the road that said books. And, and I was like, oh, can we go to the bookstore? Because I was a nerdy kid. Of course you were. And my parents had to explain that, no, we were not going to no, go to that bookstore. they do not bookstore. have any Babar books in there. It's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, that, but the highlight of this trip was always Climax Gentlemen's Club, the world's only drive-through strip club. Whoa. So they're actually – I don't think this was a converted photo hut. No. But uh, this was some kind of building that had been converted into a drive-through strip club. Maybe it used to be a car wash or, or something. A bank. I don't know. It's car wash, but instead of the brushes coming <laughs> your window, it's a lap dance. <laughs> I think there. I think you'd you'd drive behind the building and and swipe a credit card and pe- peep show peep show style windows would open. But it would have to be it would have to be one of those places where it would have to accommodate more than one car at a time. I mean, it, you would you would presumably have lots of different windows because yeah, it's not it, a very efficient business model. It's just like, what if you were just driving through like a amusement park ride and there were little <laughs> windows on hey! both sides. Hello. And instead of, uh, instead of tucking bills into anything, you have to put it into one of those little pneumatic, pneumatic tube tubes. <laughs> well, you pull up and there's a guy that's like, put your car into neutral, uh, you know, roll your windows, <laughs> roll your windows up. Scott says, sadly, it has now been leveled and it's a used car lot. Wow. Well, like so many things in life, the world's only drive through strip club is gone. But uh, Marnie, from, uh, who grew up in, I'm going to say this wrong, and they say it in Fargo. Is it Bemidji or Bemidji, Wisconsin, oh, boy, Minnesota? Boy, I'm the wrong guy to ask. Let's just get it wrong and get angry Okay, letters. let's pick, pick one. I think it might be Bemidji. Let's say Bemidji then. Bemidji. Bemidji sounds like it's an island. Like. Yeah, Bemidji is one of those songs that the Beach Boys refer to in Kokomo. Bemidji, Duluth, ooh, I want to take you. Anyway, uh, she attended a, a Lutheran church in Bemidji slash Bemidji, and mm-hmm. she says, every summer, churchgoers had the option to skip the fancy clothes, skip the wooden pews, skip the handshakes and eye contact, and instead head to the drive-in movie theater on the northwest corner of town. Uh, the drive-in was kind of fading as a movie destination because a new multiplex had been built, apparently. But it was a good, it was a new church? On summer Sunday mornings, there was drive-in church, apparently. So you, dr- you drive there in your family station wagon, park near a speaker, point the car toward the screen. You'd put the little speaker in the car and you'd listen to the service. There was nothing on the screen. There was just a, a pastor in a white robe, just kind of barely visible standing at the bottom of this h- huge screen where people had just been watching the black hole or right. uh, the last starfighter or something. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm assuming this woman's my age. Uh, and the sound was terrible. Course. Apparently, people would not sing much for the hymns because it's an awkward area. Do you sing if you're just in your car? 
Um, I think that's where most people do most of their singing is in their car. You'd think there'd be, that's true, but would you do it if everyone else in the parking lot was singing the same song? That might be weird. <laughs> there was no communion, apparently. There was no concession stand. <laughs> you don't drive, bringing... <laughs> drive up and, and uh, take communion? Let's all go to the uh, wafer. Um, but apparently at one point in the service, cheerful, nicely dressed older men would come car to car with a plastic ice cream bucket. To, that would be the equivalent of passing the plate. Uh-huh. So you could you could you could lower your window and make a, a donation. They didn't have the pneumatic tubes, <laughs> but she said her family loved it because nobody wanted to go to church. But if they had to go, they would much rather just sit in the car in t-shirts and overalls. Sure, they were allowed to bring toys because you know your kids. If your kids act up in church, you get the stink eye. But if they're in the back seat, back seat of a station wagon, you know who cares. And they and they the rule was they had to put the toys away when the collection plate came around because uh-huh. you didn't want others in the congregation to see your your inattentive kids. Well, I was going to say church. it was a great opportunity to go to church and uh, without wearing pants, but of course those old men would come around. You'd have to put a towel over yourself or something. Yeah, you, I like how you thought this through. Yeah, well, you're I, a few steps ahead, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they would always stop for Dunkin' Donuts on the way home. Um, Best church ever. And she says that First Lutheran, her 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 childhood church in uh, is still holding drive-in services every summer. Just the theater's gone, so they now do it at the fairgrounds. But it's enough of a tradition that people now associate summer church with sitting in your car that they've had to find a venue to keep it going. What's strange is that I do not associate that kind of innovation with Lutheranism. <laughs> Right? Doesn't that seem like a Pentecostal thing? Like Lutherans tend to be, you know, because a little, a little more, more middle class, a or? more conservative. I mean, it's just like when I think of the Lutheran doctrine and drive-in movie, it just doesn't. Quite I, guess, I mean, it's in line with square. their austerity. You can't get more low church than I guess a, an true. empty white rectangle. I guess that's true. I mean, true. honestly, if you've watched any of these Ingmar Bergman movies, like what is his conception of God? An right. empty white rectangle <laughs> right. with, with one little man standing right. in front of it. Right. I mean, I, I guess it's it's even more austere than an aluminum Jesus or whatever you often see there. I guess in in Bemidji it would be an aluminum Paul Bunyan. That's that's who I would worship. <laughs> And that concludes Volume 1 of the Omnibus Addenda. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.